On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Regardless, you can check out the trailer for Season 3 if you want to hear more rationale for what this season is about. On today's episode, we have Dr. Barry Bishop joining us. Dr. Barry has about four degrees in counseling, spiritual direction, and so many other things that are important to this conversation. We get into talking about attachment, attachment theory, the four different basic styles of attachment, and how that affects us in adult relationships, in romantic relationships, and in friendships. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm sitting here with Barry Bishop, and we're going to be talking about attachment styles, attachment theory a little bit. We're not going to get too academic and too heady, um, but it'll be really helpful. Um, But before we get into that, could you just maybe introduce yourself to us? Kind of what's your story? What have you been up to? Yeah, so I am an assistant professor here at Biola University. Um, I teach at the Institute for Spiritual Formation. Um, Additionally, I'm a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my doctorate at Azusa Pacific University. That's not allowed in yeah. Biola, <laughs> Biola faculty. I first I got my first master's degree at Biola, and then I went to Azusa. So hopefully that makes... <laughs> was I'm Biola trying, not enough for you? Biola was not enough. <laughs> no, Biola was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Azusa complimented my experience at Biola That's very good. well. That's yeah. good language. But I, I came back to Biola, so that should say a That's lot. Good. Um, That's good. So I, yeah, so I graduated um, from... Biola, master's degree in spiritual formation and psych- um, and um, spiritual formation and soul care, and then I went and got my degree in clinical uh, psychology from Azusa Pacific. Um, so I'm a spiritual director, mm-hmm. um, and then I'm also a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, I'm a, a mom. And I'm a <laughs> wife. I have a daughter. She's 21 months, and um, I have one on the way, due in February. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I um, have been married for four years to Will, my husband, and um, we have worked pretty hard at our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and having both graduated from Talbot, uh, we were both very interested. Both um, both trained as spiritual directors. We're both very interested mm-hmm. in relationships and communication <laughs> styles and all of that. And so um, we've we've had um uh we've put a lot of work into our relationship and so attachment and attachment Mm -hmm. styles have been um such a uh key factor in how we relate to one another in Mm -hmm. how we communicate and in the kind of work that we wanted to do uh both as a couple and as parents so um, how many degrees do you guys have between the two of you um (laughs) graduate degrees we have four between the two of us yeah so (laughs) um yeah so we um we like to talk quite a bit. <laughs> and reflect because we, we care and spiritual formation. Yeah. Communicate a lot, yes. Um, so we were talking earlier before we started recording about attachment styles and why. Because someone listening might be like, okay, what even is attachment styles? But why is that helpful to even know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of compare it to the Enneagram just because I think it's helpful to maybe know like a title or a name to give you a framework. But at the same time, it's like you don't want to get lazy (laughs) with it and just like, well, I'm this attachment or I'm this number. And so that's just what it is. So we're going to kind of dive into both of those aspects. Um, But before we get into maybe kind of what you do with your attachment style, how do you move on from it? What is attachment? (laughs) Um, And then maybe what are the basic styles that we have as humans? Right. 
Right. So um, attachment is essentially how we relate to other people, um, how we uh, think of, how we um, uh, uh, think of in our mind um, mm-hmm. of other people, how we feel and deal with our circumstances. That's our attachment, and it's with significant relationships in our life. So uh, our attachment is hardwired um, in us. We actually um, have developed our sense of attachment or our attachment style by seven months. Um, (laughs) It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah, it is. Uh, And it's something that we... um, actually hold within not just our mind but within our within our way of mm-hmm. relating mm-hmm. um for the rest of our life yeah and it's even kind of almost a subconscious thing in a lot of ways it is mostly subconscious yes yeah because yeah, it's not like hmm i'm insecurely attached i'm going to act this way you just mm-hmm. you just are like yes. you, you just are that way so what are maybe i know there's some categories mm-hmm. for the attachment styles what are those categories sure yeah so um there are two um two broad umbrellas of mm-hmm. uh of attachment secure attachment and insecure attachment mm-hmm. and then under insecure attachment there is avoidant attachment avoidant or ambivalent mm-hmm. um and then anxious attachment okay yeah oh excuse me I'm, i confuse it too insecure attachment has um avoidant um and dismissive and then insecure attachment also has um, anxious and ambivalent so those phrases are often used interchangeably um, sometimes somebody says i am insecurely attached and i don't necessarily know what that means because it could mean oh are you anxiously attached yeah are you avoidantly yeah. attached and those look very different they look very different yeah so um and then there is a um a fourth uh, category of uh, disorganized or chaotic hmm. attachment. So I th- I think what most people probably should know is that, <laughs> or what all people should know is that uh, most people are securely attached. Oh, thank God. Yeah. No, it is. It is. It is. Um, the majority of people have a secure attachment, and mm-hmm. they might have tendencies of, um, you know, being. Uh, more anxious in relationships mm-hmm. or being more avoidant. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people are um, securely attached to the um, significant people in their lives. Hmm. So you have secure attachment and mm-hmm. there's not really like subcategories. You just, you're secure. You're Obviously secure. you have tendencies and everything. Right. Then you have insecure attachment, which is either anxious or avoidant. Yes. Um, and those are two different ways of acting. And then you have a fourth category. Would that be a more rare Category. It is very rare. It is um, seen in less, I think, in less than 1% of the population okay. of a disorganized or a chaotic um, way of attaching. And um, that that occurs when you um, grow up in a, a circumstance or a household that is uh, very chaotic, Got it. Um, significant trauma. Okay. And um, so we, I, we don't really encounter folks who are... Um, have a disorganized attachment too often. Got it. That's helpful. So when when we think about these categories, maybe we can 
dumb it down for people. What like what do you look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And what do you look like in each of these sure. categories? Sure. So um, yeah. So the um, just looking at my notes, make sure that I get everything. Um, so secure attachment looks like your ability to both feel and deal um, with circumstances of life. So um, this this is going to look like um, you're in, as far as relationships are concerned. Mm-hmm. This is going to look like I am. Um, I am able to navigate a stressful circumstance by both regulating my emotions, what's going on inside of me, and also maybe helping to manage somebody else's emotions. Hmm. So if I am securely attached, um, then I um, have a fairly positive view of myself and I have a fairly positive view of other people. Hmm. Um, I believe that other people are going to show up when I um, need them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not everybody, but the people who are most significant in my life. And Would that so, be like you have a fundamental level of trust? Like you generally trust that mm-hmm. people are going to be there when you need them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for somebody who is securely attached, you're going to have, um, yeah, a, a basic trust that um, other people um, are are going to show up for you, but you also believe that you're worthy Hmm. of another person showing up for you, Hmm. that you're worthy of love, that you're worthy of um, attention, um, and that relationships by and large are good. Hmm. So if you you have a secure attachment, which um, you've likely had since, um, since a very young age, um, something that your parents fostered, um, within you. And most parents do this again. They just do this naturally when, mm-hmm. for example, when they're, when a, um, a parent hears their baby cry, yeah. oftentimes they are very responsive. They're going to go up, they're going to pick up their baby. They're going to soothe their, um, soothe them. They're going to, um, help them to, understand what's happening, why they're crying, help them to calm mm-hmm. down, soothe. And that's that's part of developing a secure attachment is that um, you, when you were young, you cried out and there was um, a, a responsiveness that came mm-hmm. from one of your primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and your parent helped you to understand what was going on in the world around you. They mm-hmm. said, you know, you know, Colton, um, uh, that was really scary when the dog barked at you and you started crying. <laughs> I love dogs. Yeah, was, okay. Maybe that a cat. Have, it maybe a cat. cat. <laughs> cat. When, they, when the cat, you know. I don't cats, know. Cats, cats, do can, I don't, cats don't bark. So it's ruined. You ruined it. Colton. There's a lion. Yeah, a lion yeah. The lion zoo. growled at you. Um, that was really scary. And this is... Um, and, and you were shocked, and this this is how you responded. You started crying, mm. but um, mommy or daddy um, or grandma or grandpa, mm-hmm. we were here, and um, we wouldn't let you get hurt. Mm. And so even with my daughter, who's, um, she, like I said, she's 21 months. She's nearly two. She, when she is um, crying or upset, uh, 
Will and I, we try and give her a story of like what happened, of why hmm. she's upset. Patty, you know, that's my daughter's name, Patty. Patty, you are so upset because um, you threw your food on the ground and <laughs> Winnie ate it. And that was super, our dog, Winnie. It's that not, was, it's not that, the other child. Yeah, not the other child, though. That was, that made you upset. And yeah. so, and she's able, able to say, even at this young age, sad, Winnie, <laughs> food. Yeah. And so this is the beginning of Mm -hmm. developing what is called a joint coherent narrative. She is developing in her mind an ability to narrate why she feels what she feels. And so um, you can see how this might play out 10, 20, 30 years Mm -hmm. down the road Mm -hmm. for um, a securely attached child is that they Mm -hmm. um, are then able to understand, oh, I feel... Um, I feel sad because, you know, um, this guy that I'm dating, he hasn't responded Mm -hmm. in like three or four days to, you know, a text that I sent out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I thought that we had like a really good time, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sad. And, uh, but at the same time, I know that I am worthy of, Mm -hmm. um, having somebody respond to me in a, kind courteous way (laughs) and so um yes i'm sad but i'm able to deal with the circumstance Mm -hmm. of and you know why you're sad and you know why you know you're feeling something you know what it is and you know what it's attached to that's good so um so that's part of you know having a secure attachment there are other factors that go into developing a secure attachment um but that's one of the ways that it plays out relationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and what percentage of the population, if you could estimate, would have like a secure attachment, do you think? Maybe American population. Probably. Um, I think I um, read in a in a study that about 60 percent. Wow. Of, that's a lot higher than people would probably, yeah. <laughs> would probably guess. I, I think that a lot of people might have tendencies mm-hmm. of being more anxious or being mm-hmm. more um, or being avoidant. But at their core, they believe at some, you know, in in some place, like I am worthy of hmm. love. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, parents or future parents, <laughs> it's hope. not it's not yeah. hard. No. <laughs> you could do it, yeah. even if you mess up their teen years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're still giving them a baseline. Yes. Um, but I want to get in later. We'll get into like the teen mm-hmm. years and how does that change? Why do the tendencies matter? And sure. how do you work through this? But sure. okay, maybe let's walk through the insecure. Okay. We attach uh, anxious and avoidant. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, and how is that maybe fostered as a child? Sure. So um, anxious or ambivalent um, attachment is when someone feels um, but maybe can't deal with hmm. circumstances. So these folks have a belief that they are not worthy of love and generally have a negative view of themselves and an unrealistic view of others. Hmm. Um so people with this type of attachment um, expect others to be unreliable. Um, they expect others to uh, maybe show up sometimes or not show up other times. Um, and they're often anxious in their relationships. Um, they fear abandonment. Um, and oftentimes they have difficulty, what we call regulating emotions. Hmm. So... The, Oftentimes, somebody who has a, an anxious attachment style, they they feel um, their feelings, and they um, they almost feel like a compulsion to express them. Hmm. 
and and there it feels so intense like i have to express my emotions i have to mm-hmm. like just let you know other people know what's happening and um they have um an expectancy of others that okay maybe maybe if i um, almost cry out loud enough, other people will show up. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure if they're going to show up or not. Yeah. Uh, so it's um, it might be um, uh, helpful to, to say that oftentimes these folks who have an anxious attachment style as adults, they grew up in a home where there was inconsistency hmm. in how... Um, their parent might have responded to them. And it was about the parent. It wasn't about the child. Hmm. So somebody with an anxious um, attachment um, style, who uh, they often had parents who um, it, it was important that um, mom or dad look good. And um, that there was a little, there was an aspect of like almost performing for um for the parent of, okay, mm-hmm. I have to be a certain way and then I mm-hmm. can um, get the kind of soothing or comfort um, mm-hmm. from mom or dad that I need. Yeah. Uh, but they they weren't given um, the tools to be able to manage their own emotions. Yeah. And they're having trouble dealing with the circumstances that life throws at them. And so they they often struggle in relationships. They um, often are fairly jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they're often in relationships because they want to be in relationships. They mm-hmm. want to have that that experience of being um, comforted and soothed by another. But they don't necessarily know how to navigate the stresses of relationship or mm. um, conflict or things like that. And so, so would that look like maybe, I mean, I don't want to characterize any of these, but like someone who dates someone for a few months and then it gets, it was really good and it's fulfilling needs, but then it gets stressed and sure. leave and start dating a new person immediately. Um would that be more, I mean, obviously, if you're in that situation, it doesn't mean you have insecure attachment, mm-hmm. but would that be maybe some somehow it could play out? That could play out, absolutely. I, I would say somebody who is um, more anxious in their attachment style, they actually have a really hard time getting over previous relationships. Mm. They, um, they might kind of uh, uh, focus or um, intensely focus or what we call like kind of even like ruminate on mm-hmm. um, <laughs> on the past relationship and just have a really hard time um, grieving the mm-hmm. relationship and moving on. Hmm. Uh, it sounds like Drake, the rapper. I don't know if you listen to him at all, um, I but don't. he has he has a song called Trust Issues that <laughs> it's, it's yes. sounds. I mean, Drake's always ruminating on some past lover. He could never get over it. And for anyone who's like struggling to get over an ex, it's like they go to Drake to listen to. Is this what you're gonna play after? The podcast? <laughs> it's gonna be the intro. Yeah, it's gonna be the intro. Drake. No, I have Great. to pay money to to have him oh, in, okay. in the okay. podcast, and I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there, it seems like there's a fundamental trust issues, mm-hmm. um, and it. So how does this? We'll get into uh, avoidant, um, mm-hmm. but maybe how we get as a segue. How do you tell the difference between the two? Mm-hmm. So an avoidant attachment um, is somebody who um, doesn't 
actually really feel what's going on inside, but can deal with most circumstances. So so anxious feels but not deals. Yeah. Avoidance is deals but not feels. <laughs> exactly. And a secure attachment is... Feels and deals. Feels and deals. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So avoidant, also called dismissive attachment, um, is when someone does not... Uh, they, they can't really even access their feelings. I mean, mm. they happen, but it's hard to like know like, oh, this is what I'm feeling and I can name my feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can deal with most circumstances and they can navigate situations pretty well. Um, but their deep belief is that nobody's going to be there for them. Mm. Um, they often have a pretty positive view of themselves and a fairly negative view of others. So an anxious attachment style, they have a pretty low view of themselves mm-hmm. and a pretty high view, high view of, of others. others. Um and they uh, don't feel a need. So avoidant, again, they don't feel a need um, for relationships. Instead um, of getting their needs met through um, relationships um, or finding security in relationships, they often find security in alternative ways. Hmm. So maybe academia yeah. or work or staying busy or just... So it's a lot of independence? A lot of independence. A okay. lot of independence. And these folks... Um, in talking about relationships and talking about adult relationships, these folks um, might even like stay away from being in close, vulnerable, intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily something they're consciously doing. No, it's just something that it's how it just happened. It, it, again, they they don't feel a need for it. Yeah, they don't have that felt need. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and if things get fairly, you know. Uh, stressful, um, then they're probably just going to avoid any kind of conflict and just mm-hmm. move away. Yeah. So um, in relationship, um, oftentimes there's conflict, especially in intimate relationships and in romantic relationships. There's going to be conflict. Mm-hmm. That's that's the nature of of relationships is that there's often conflict. It's how you navigate that conflict. Mm-hmm. And so um, somebody who is avoidant. Um, they're just not even going to go towards the yeah. conflict. They're going to completely <laughs> avoid uh-huh. it. Um, an anxious um, attachment style that that person, um, it's they're going to have a really hard time um, hearing about the other person's feelings, hearing about the other person's mm-hmm. emotions, and they're going to have a hard time managing their own emotions. So it becomes. Um, It, it, it becomes, I wouldn't say chaotic, but it, it can feel chaotic mm-hmm. maybe to the other person in relationship with them mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And it can kind of almost feel a little bit combustible when mm-hmm. you're in a relationship with an anxious attachment <clears throat> style. So to get really stereotypical yeah. mm-hmm. and overgeneralize and gender bias, it sounds like, and again, this is not yeah. necessarily correct, but it sounds like the typical, if you think of the American man, mm-hmm. seems like more of the avoidance style in the American woman, at least in portrayed mm-hmm. in the media in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And the typical American woman is more of an anxious avoidant, where mm-hmm. the man is more detaching, numbing, not feeling anything, and the woman is maybe more feeling, feeling, feeling. Um, I know that's not <laughs> correct across the board by any means, but is that like a helpful 
stereotypical anecdote just to show you with me what mm-hmm. it looks like mm-hmm. you you see this around right. this isn't this abstract thing we're talking about you see this around where this is someone who's avoiding conflict avoiding feelings right. it's super independent they're an accountant they work 60 hours a week sure. um they come home and they just want to not talk to anyone the other sure. one where it's i need you um you're so great it's almost you're perfect but then i can't manage my own emotions and then when you mm-hmm. show emotions now i'm overwhelmed mm-hmm. and it's this double combustible emotion fest yeah um yeah i think that that's definitely how it's portrayed in hollywood is yeah that- um, you know, there's this uh, woman who needs all sorts of validation and attention mm-hmm. um, and uh, ex- like externally and mm-hmm. can't find it internally. And this man who just is not able to, um, you know, uh, access his own feelings, let alone be mm-hmm. with his be with his wife and yeah. her feelings. And, and in Hollywood, it often is portrayed as the man is almost more the better one because right. independence is really valued. Well, in in America, especially in our very, very Western culture, independence is a huge value. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, logic and reason, these are what we what we see as virtues. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, I would say, you know, from a stereo like if we're going to stereotype, then um, that would probably Mm -hmm. be correct. And so would in an avoidant attachment, that's almost too much independence Mm -hmm. and an anxious attachment. Is that almost too much dependence? I would say that that's probably a pretty good way of putting it. Very Um, simple. Very simple. Yeah. (laughs) But I would say for somebody who is, um, has an avoidant attachment, they, they grew up with maybe, um, parents who, um, who, who told told them like you know okay suck it up mm-hmm. you know uh uh stop crying or i'll give mm-hmm. you something to cry about mm-hmm. um they're they're feeling could they even they've maybe even heard that from siblings not necessarily their direct caretakers you know attachment is often formed with your like with your of the primary relationship got it in your life um and i um it can be mom or it can be mm-hmm. dad. It's whoever, or it can be grandpa, grandpa, grandma, exactly. Aunt. You're, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, it's an inborn system attachment is it's, mm-hmm. um, it's how we, again, it's how we figure out um, how we relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it gives us this um, schema of mm-hmm. how do we relate to um, this other important person in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, do I trust them? Um, do I trust them more than I trust myself? Mm-hmm. Um, do I um, do I avoid them? And it also provides a schema for how we relate to God. Yeah. And so, um, it and it's primarily influenced by uh, by who's caring for us. So mm-hmm. if your older sibling was a person who, you know, cared for you the majority of the time, especially in those like early childhood mm-hmm. years then that could be maybe your primary mm-hmm. attachment figure. So let's dive into maybe a little bit of the tendencies. Because okay. I since the majority of the population a little bit more are securely attached, but uh, people listening to this are probably feeling like, I feel like I see a lot of like anxious <laughs> attachment and avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. But those are probably more what you'd say is tendencies yeah. um, in some of those people. So how, do, how does that occur? Um, and how is that different like if I developed, let's say me personally, I developed a little bit of a, let's say, avoidant attachment mm-hmm. in high school mm-hmm. tendencies, but my base is still secure. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Um, and 
does that is that just as bad <laughs> as avoidant mm-hmm. attachment? Or what, so kind of like let's get into how each of us kind of maybe possess a little bit of the insecure attachment, even when we have a secure base. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that look like? So, I mean, if you have a secure base, but you have certain tendencies, either anxious or avoidant tendencies, um, and that have been like habituated that you, mm-hmm. you know, just started to employ as maybe a way of like coping with mm-hmm. um, painful experiences or um, with uncertain experiences, uh, then they can be, um, then other tendencies can be habituated in their place. Hmm. So if, you know, if you have a secure base and mm-hmm. um, you have tendencies of, you know, avoiding relationships, avoiding mm-hmm. intimate relationships, really what it's going to take is probably one solid experience of um, of a vulnerable, safe, intimate relationship for things to shift pretty quickly for you internally. Hmm. And so that new experience <clears throat> that you have um, will um, will give you a different mm. a different way of of maybe um, going through Got it. life. Whereas if you have more of an avoidant base, a more mm. of an avoidant attachment style in general, um, it's going to take um, a significant amount of of work mm-hmm. for you to develop um, a secure attachment. It's not impossible, but it does take work because um, again your attachment style is this inborn system and it's even it's it 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 is even um wired into our brain so there's a saying of um when it comes to you know how our brain functions how our brain works what um what fires together wires together Hmm. so neurons that uh fire together from a very you know, early age, they're going to be wired together. Mm. And um, that's going to, that's going to contribute to our schema of how we um, look at relationships of how we, uh, what we expect from relationships, what we believe about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to take a tremendous amount of work for the rewiring to occur. Hmm. So someone who has a secure base, say they get in high school and some stuff happens in the family, dad becomes more distant mom becomes overbearing um, and so you develop maybe avoidant attachment or anxious attachment then you get to college you meet a good girl or guy you end up getting married and it's a good healthy relationship that can almost in a sense reverse those high school years back to your secure base so it's a lot it's a lot easier quote unquote um, it's not necessarily nothing's easy mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a lot easier in a sense to get back to the secure base you once had if that was your base Absolutely. but if you had an insecure base you're going to need a lot maybe more time in secure relationships, mm-hmm. maybe a lot, a few more types of secure relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be over a longer period of time in order right. to build healthy attachment in you. Right. I would say that's a great way of, um, of paraphrasing that. Yeah, I would say that it's actually probably going to take um, some pretty intensive, intentional work hmm. Um and I, if you have an insecure attachment style, whether it be avoidant or anxious or disorganized, um, your one of your best options is going to be good therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, some I would say probably therapy that's more depth oriented, relationally focused, mm-hmm. um, and it's 
you know, you're going to find people who are maybe more um, anxiously attached. They'll maybe be more willing to go mm-hmm. into therapy. Um, <laughs> Avoided attached. Avoid well, their their belief is, I don't need yeah. relationships. Oh, be it. So let's just take this into my own life and my own group okay. of friends because okay. I think this will be helpful for yeah. people listening. <clears throat> so I think my story, secure base for sure, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then junior high, high school got a little murky. I think I developed probably a little bit of tendencies of both, uh, which okay. I think that probably just means I'm human in some ways. Yeah. Um, but as I developed friendships, it's helped me, you know, I got back to the secure base, I feel like, pretty quickly through therapy and through good friendships. Mm-hmm. I've been through a lot of therapy. Um, and so I, at first, when I got into therapy, I thought like, oh, man, I have avoidant attachment or I have anxious mm-hmm. attachment. And then I'm like, as I've gotten more, th- it's a pendulum swing of like burn everything down. Then it's like, oh, wait, your parents aren't as bad as you thought you were when you were centered yeah. therapy. Yeah. They actually provided a really good base. Maybe they built some bad blocks on top of that. But other than that, it was really good. But then I have some friends who I also think have a secure base, just knowing their family of origin and knowing mm-hmm. their story, mm-hmm. um, but are either extremely avoidant and tendencies are extremely anxious and tendencies. Sure. And they refuse to go into therapy, especially the avoidant ones, because mm-hmm. um, they're just like, well, I'll, I'll get to that. Or like, mm-hmm. I can just like sometimes before I even like think about going to therapy, I just figured out in my head, like week to week, I'd already figure out all the problems before I even get to mm-hmm. therapy. So why would I need it? So someone, let's say, in each of those two camps, um, speak to my friends, quote unquote, um, who had a secure base, but has developed pretty strong avoidant where Mm -hmm. they can deal but not feel, which Mm -hmm. is like a prototypical, again, Hollywood man, um, or they can feel but not deal at all. Mm -hmm. What is their step forward? Does it have to be therapy? Mm -hmm. Is that the only way? Or what are some other steps they can take? I would say that... um well, here's my pitch for therapy. Again, I'm biased because I'm, I'm a therapist. But um, you're making money off. Yeah, of yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not making money off yeah, of exactly. this right now. But um, yeah, none of this. No, none of this. Uh, but I would say that um, one of the beautiful things about therapy is you're in a relationship with somebody that you don't have to take care of. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it's almost selfish, which works against the grain of Christian service. Sure. It feels wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think what well, you're getting, it's really good. It is really good. And it's, um, it promotes uh, a kind of self-knowledge mm-hmm. paired with a relational experience that is invaluable. It is one of the best investments that you're going to give um, to mm-hmm. yourself if you're wanting to get married to your your future mm-hmm. marriage, um, if you're wanting to have kids to your kids, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a great investment. Mm-hmm. Um, if and you find a good one that you connect with, because sometimes yeah. people have bad experiences and we want to acknowledge that. Oh, I hear that all the time. I, I often hear like, well, I went to therapy once <laughs> and it was just it did it was didn't work for me. And I so my my my. Um, maybe uh, snarky comeback comeback is, um, well, when you, you know, your car broke down and you had to take it to the mechanic and you had a bad experience there, did you just right decide? Right mechanics for forever. Yeah, decide not, <laughs> I'm never going to go see a mechanic again. Well, it's the same thing with churches. Right. People like, I went to one service mm-hmm. and it just wasn't for me. Sure. So I'm going to go try this other church or I'm just going to write off churches in general. I'm like, sure. Maybe okay again. Maybe that church was bad. Maybe it mm-hmm. wasn't a good connection. That's valid, but you gotta you gotta give it some longer sure. time to Absolutely. really. It's like the same thing. Like of 
I get married for a week, mm-hmm. you know, after just meeting someone. It's like, ah, marriage isn't, <laughs> it's yeah. not for me. Cause you didn't put the time in. There's not this longevity. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I hear that. I'm with you. I hear that yeah. a lot where it's like, I had, I went two times and it was just awful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't know many counselors who are that awful. I know a lot of pastors who are doing like pseudo counseling, who are just giving advice who are bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like actual counselors, like if they're going according to the book at the bare minimum, mm-hmm. That should be just be catered to. You can just talk yeah, for an hour. Absolutely. Um, which everyone loves to do. Just talk about themselves for an hour. So I don't get it. Well, and I think, too, I mean, there, you know, you want to find a therapist that's a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that the best way to do that is you're going to want to talk to somebody who um, who can give you a great referral mm-hmm. um, and, and connect you with somebody. I often, when I give referrals, I give two or three because... I encourage um, people that I see, like, you know, or friends, if I'm talking to a friend, I say, you know, give yourself a chance uh, to see who you connect best with. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, because goodness of fit with a therapist, um, their ability to empathize with you, your your felt experience of trust for them, um, that's that's the best indicator of success in therapy. Mm Mm-hmm. When I first sat with my therapist through BCC, mm-hmm. but he's actually a professor here at Biola because I got a good I got a good deal with it. Yeah. Um, but the first like the first few sessions, I was just like, because ah. <laughs> he's like not like me. He's a four on the Enneagram and an eight on the Enneagram. He is way more like seemed more reserved, seemed mm-hmm. a little bit more maybe even nerdy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like more sporty and more energetic and out there. But then the good things going was that he had a big beard and he had like a fatherly look to him. So yeah. we connected. But again, it was like, I get it. Like there's a, the first few sessions sometimes feels awkward. It's just like meeting a new friend mm-hmm. or going on a first date. Yeah. Um, if you hit it off the first time, awesome. Then your counseling experience might be great. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it takes, you know, a couple dates, <laughs> a couple, couple weeks of hanging out and then maybe decide. But that's hard because a lot of times therapy is a big investment in terms of money. It's, um, it's a significant investment. Yeah. But if you work full time, there's probably a good chance you can get it for a decent price um, if you Absolutely. have good benefits. Well, if you have yeah insurance and um, sometimes uh, therapists are often willing to work on a sliding scale. But but I will say as far as attachment goes, um, if you give yourself to therapy for at least six months, hopefully a year, mm-hmm. um, you have this... Um, <clears throat> You have this opportunity to develop um, a different style of mm-hmm. attachment mm-hmm. Um, because not just with your therapist, that's where it's going to start, but mm-hmm. then it's going to be duplicated or replicated mm-hmm. in other relationships. It's the same thing with your parents. Right. You had this one type of style attachment mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. and then you take it to others, whether positive or negative. Right. So in the same way in therapy, it's it's almost a reparenting, mm-hmm. um, but it's a reattachment kind of mechanism. It's absolutely a reparenting, and it is a, a different way of it's, – it's rebuilding a schema mm-hmm. of what can you expect from important relationships in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully your expectancy with with therapy um, comes to, I believe that I am worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that I'm worthy to be in relationships where I am loved, but I'm also able to show and express my love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's reciprocal. Mm-hmm. And there's an interdependence there. Yeah. And so not not just in romantic relationships, but in friendships, too. 
And so that's um, th- that's my my pitch for for therapy. Mm-hmm. I will say that there is an opportunity for this in the church. Mm-hmm. Now I say that cautiously understandable yeah so i would say that in order for this to happen in the church the church has to be healthy Mm -hmm. and in order for the church to be healthy that there needs to be um some healthy leadership Mm -hmm. and i think that um unfortunately what i've seen in um the maybe non-denominational evangelical Mm -hmm. culture is this tendency for leadership um, within a church to be um, to put on this front of like oh everything's I'm great Mm -hmm. I don't need care I don't Mm -hmm. need mental health care I don't need spiritual care Mm -hmm. and that is a lie yeah and even the ones that aren't necessarily saying just pray away your Mm -hmm. mental health pray away this they're still functionally kind of operating that way right and because I think a lot of times um, pastors, elders, leadership, uh, people who are in leadership, they don't feel this ability or this freedom to um, maybe it's the church culture of like, I can't be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so I can't be real about the fact that I'm really struggling in my marriage mm-hmm. or that I don't have close friends or, you know, that I I don't know how to experience my feelings and so i can't navigate you know um, marital counseling premarital mm-hmm. counseling with these different couples i have so many pastor friends who are scared of receiving therapy because they said what would that say mm-hmm. to my staff mm-hmm. or to my team or to the people like if i'm having to go to counseling isn't that a red flag mm-hmm. to my team that mm-hmm. i'm like a bad <laughs> bad person mm-hmm. um so i know a lot that are like wanting help but it's like, what would that say? Right. Um, so I can't, I can't, I just got to figure it out. I got to bare knuckle this mm-hmm. or bloody knuckle this and just figure it out. Well, one of the beautiful things about therapy is it's confidential. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they can, they can go to therapy until, um, and, and maybe be uh, private about mm-hmm. it until they have enough confidence to be able to say like, yes, I go to therapy because um, I I need that extra support. Yeah, I need that space. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even lie about it. Say I'm going to therapy to like help deal with like the church's issues. You know, well, we don't want to promote lying, <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the the degree to which leadership receives good help, um, good um, spiritual mental health care. Um, I, I really believe that that is the degree to which they're going to have um, a congregation um, that uh, is is thriving, mm-hmm. um, that that trusts leadership, that mm-hmm. is able to that they, they feel um, where the um, people feel uh, heard and supported and loved and cared for. And so if the leadership is able to kind of get a hold of this, work on their own ways of relating, um, work on their own um, spiritual health and mental health, I think I think that that will be the biggest indicator of um, the freedom that their um, members have to um, mm-hmm. to come and say, I need help. I want to grow. I want to grow spiritually. I want to mm-hmm. grow relationally. Um, I need help in this area of mental health. 
And I mean, can you imagine what um, a beautiful, you know, church that would look like if, hey, I can I can come and I can go to my church and I um, and I can maybe have more anxious tendencies or even mm-hmm. have an anxious attachment style and the leadership mm-hmm. at least has done their work enough where they're able to navigate mm-hmm. that and, and put me in a small group that is able to be with me relationally mm-hmm. through this time of like learning how to regulate my emotions and mm-hmm. um, learning how to um, uh, like build up my own self-esteem and have a more appropriate view of what I can expect from other people and what I can expect from God. Yeah. That would, that would just be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately I think that, um, that that's, the exception rather than the rule when mm-hmm. it comes to churches. When I think <clears throat> so many people I talk to who have left the church or who are struggling with their concept of God, and I don't want to demean and like funnel us down because a lot of people do this to people who are atheists or agnostics, but a lot of times I'm like, well, the, the God that you're denying or denouncing or leaving or the church that you're even leaving as a concept is not the church that I see in the Bible and is not the God that I believe in. And it's, I think it's because they're taking this insecure, avoidant, whatever attachment. And it's the God image as well. The God attachment is the same as the family attachment a lot of times. And you have to work out of your family attachment to actually see God clearly for what he is. In the same way with the church, it's like just because there's these few exceptions and we hardly ever see them, but since the church is unhealthy or doing it this way or it's bad or corrupt or whatever, it's still like, well, I don't believe in that kind of church either. Um, but it, it's so hard for people, and I understand completely, and I have so much compassion for that, um, to get over that or to be like, well, no, God's just this stern authoritarian. And I'm like, well, that sounds more like your dad mm-hmm. <laughs> than like God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find bits and pieces in Scripture, obviously, to support <laughs> that yeah, view of God. Right. Um, but maybe one angle that I wanted to touch on before we get into some kind of hope pieces and end it um, is what do we do? Let's say, I mean, people aren't getting married as much anymore. <laughs> so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of a significant decline. And yeah. yeah, well, millennials are getting married far less than ever before, but we're getting divorced far less than the older generation. So it's like, we're really <laughs> waiting to pull the trigger, mm-hmm. but we do mm-hmm. normally we're sticking together, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone who's single, for someone who isn't getting to practice attachment in a marriage mm-hmm. or getting to start a new biological family, um, what can attachment look like with friends? Sure. Um, and how do you work on that? Because I know so many people where it's, oh, I'll work on that once I get married or like my <laughs> wife's going to refine me or my husband's going to bring out the best in me, um, which is true, but you shouldn't wait for that. Um, but how do you actually work on attachment with friends? Because I think there's a there's a one, one piece that we're scared of like acknowledging that I'm attached mm-hmm. to my friends. There's an mm-hmm. attachment thing mm-hmm. here that I'm trusting them, that I'm depending on them entirely mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're scared to even acknowledge that this is a deep, committed, attached relationship, especially amongst mm-hmm. males. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece is that the church is telling us that the marriage is the chief attachment place, which mm-hmm. I think is true in, mm-hmm. in some regards. Um, but what do we do with mm-hmm. all these single people? What do mm-hmm. we do with how is Paul attached? How is Jesus attached? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. what would be kind of your thoughts on how do you as a single person um, work on attachment, experience healthy attachment mm-hmm. with your friend group? Sure. So I, I would say that, um, well, I'll just use my, my own story as, as an example. 
I so I got married when I was 29, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, I guess, <laughs> from the previous generation that's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but our generation, that's, I think that's like the median that age That is now. probably, yeah, now. Um, and so, but before I got married, um, I, I had this, and I still do, I had this great group of friends, um, friends, both female and male. And um, th- that was actually developed and constructed mostly through um, uh, through the the church that I was a part of uh, before I moved down to Southern California, and then part of the Institute for Spiritual Formation. So they have these cohorts that you go through, mm-hmm. and um, I happened to be in a cohort where I was able to be in circumstances where I could be vulnerable, I could be open, and I was well received. Mm-hmm. I was um I was loved, I was taken in. And I um developed these friendships that um persist to this day that will likely persist until um my my dying day. Um, they, they've persisted as I've moved across the country a few times. They've mm-hmm. persisted through um, death and tragedy in my life, persisted through j- joyous occasions. Um, and so I would say that I had this opportunity um, that I gave myself to willingly because I knew that something I had tendencies of mm-hmm. of avoidant um, mm-hmm. behaviors of um, I don't. I don't want to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be open. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to need other people because other people will disappoint me. Mm-hmm. And um, the the Lord, by His goodness and by His graciousness, He He placed me in, in a space where I had to be vulnerable. I had to be open, and I was so well received. I was so well loved. So I would say that for for folks who um, who maybe are listening to this, who are like, I, you know, I do have some tendencies towards being more anxiously attached, being more avoidantly attached. Um, I would say that um, I, I would give, I would say, give yourself to an experience where you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, give yourself to a, a safe space, a safe space where you're gonna have to be vulnerable and you're gonna have to be open and you're gonna have to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And, and let yourself be known, um, whether it be in a small group, whether it be um, in my like in my situation, being a part of of a cohort um, mm-hmm. through school, um, whether it be um, in in current ongoing relationships of hey, you've been we've been friends for like a few years now, but I've mm-hmm. I've kind of I really kind of feel like there's a little bit of a superficial or a surface mm-hmm. level relationship that we have. And I just want to open up and share like, this mm-hmm. is what's going on in my heart and take a risk. Mm-hmm. Now that's really scary because what if it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then my encouragement would be to, to you know, to try again with somebody mm-hmm. who, um, who, who at least appears to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, um, that, that that giving yourself to these new experiences relationally um, is going to be 
huge. I, and I, I don't think it's just for single folks. Mm-hmm. I think it's for married folks too, because um, I think there's this, there's this lie that's been perpetuated about marriage of, you know, I, I only need my spouse. <laughs> yeah. That is a lie. Mm-hmm. I do. I need more than will. Mm-hmm. You know, Will needs more than me. And Will's great. And Will's great. <laughs> Will's awesome. And I love him. Yeah. Um, but you know what? He's he is not my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I am not his best friend. I am mm-hmm. his wife. And mm-hmm. he's my husband. And we have um we have these great friends friend groups that we can turn to because we um we do have this capacity for this romantic mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. which is great mm-hmm. but we have capa- these other capacities of relationship that the other one cannot fulfill mm-hmm. um that takes a community that takes mm-hmm. um friends outside <laughs> of just our our little dyad and yeah. it takes a relationship with god and so i would say that um developing um, close, intimate friendships, relationships is vital um, to to developing like a just even a healthy, healthy sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think of the scriptures and think of Jesus and think of Paul and think of some of the disciples and think of even Paul's encouragement mm-hmm. to not get married if possible, but do get married and just thinking through all this over the last few years and just working on attachment with friends, it's something where it's it's almost been like, Man, I wonder if I can become securely attached and have healthy attachment with my friends, how much of still a nagging and burning desire I'd have for marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm at a point right now where I, it's like I don't crave that or desire like I used to, mm-hmm. um, which I, and I wonder, I guess the question is if you're listening, it's like if you can work on your healthy attachment with friends, I'd want to know still how much is your desire for marriage? Because marriage is a beautiful thing, it's a mm-hmm. sacred thing, it's a unique thing, it's a distinctively different kind of relationship that you can Absolutely. have with friends. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of times what we're really longing for is attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trust, it's security, it's right. dependency and marriage has become this buy all, get all kind of thing where it's your best friend, soulmate, spouse, lover, yeah. <laughs> all these different things. Um, but it, it can't always be that way. Yeah. Um, and it, it isn't that way. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder what it looked like for all these millennials and even Gen Z and Gen Xers who are listening. And it's, man, I, if I could just find a spouse, then I'll feel secure. If I can just be married, then I'll work through all this stuff. If I can just find a new biological family and a spouse and kids, then I'll be fi- get rid of my old biological family, be, be con- content and secure. But I'm like, what if you can find that with friends? And then if you can find that with friends and still desire marriage, awesome, beautiful, mm-hmm. go for it. Uh, but you're not going to now leave these friends behind, just mm-hmm. like you and Will, where it's mm-hmm. like, we got married, maybe a little quote unquote later, which is not later anymore, yeah. but later com- compared yeah. to the fifties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times people get married and it's kind of, they leave their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's like, well, now this is my all, this is my everything. And I've, we talked about this before a million times on the podcast. Um, but even with my friends, we've had to walk through, okay, it's the same thing with you guys where it's like, we've been friends for four or five years and I was going through counseling about 70% of our friend group was going through counseling yeah. at the time. And I'm like, okay, if we want to do this longer term, then we all have to f- figure out how to become secure and healthily attached to one another. Because um, some of us are living in anxious tendencies, avoidant tendencies, even chaotic tendencies. And so it's like, well, we need to take this next step. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, we've had some friendships where I'm like, okay, I feel like 
my craving from undergrad Christian university for a spouse ring by spring completely decreased when I realized I'm seen and known by this guy. I'm seen and known by this girl. I'm seen and known by this person. And I'm like, okay, I still, I think, desire marriage in a lot of ways, but it's not this like ultimate solution. Um, but maybe let's, let's speak to marriage a little bit for our, kind of our last question here. Um, so for those who are married are engaged or dating and those who will be married, um, this is when we think of attachment again in America, this is where we think of, we think of attachment as a primary relationship of, of a husband and wife. What is your hope, um, for married couples and yeah. working through attachment, whether different attachments, one's secure and one's not, um, mm-hmm. which I think that's probably more rare because you normally marry mm-hmm. <laughs> the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who have tendencies of avoidance, tendencies of anxiousness, mm-hmm. tendencies of even chaotic, mm-hmm. what would be your hope for couples who are navigating attachment um, and what should they be doing going forward? Yeah. So um, my hope for couples um is that they would um, not only grow in their um, ability to feel and deal individually mm-hmm. and with their mm-hmm. partner, um, but they would grow out outside relationally with other um, with other folks, um, with other good close friends, and with with the Lord. And so that that is my hope is that they can grow in um insecure tendencies that they will know how to regulate their own emotions and be able to to empathize and mm-hmm. be with other people mm-hmm. in their own emotions be, be able to be with their spouse and um, be able to navigate conflict towards repair mm-hmm. um that is my hope and i i think that this um I think there's this lie that, you know, if you have a, you know, that a great, a great relationship means that you're not fighting or Mm -hmm. that you don't have conflict. And Mm -hmm. I, I, that is a lie. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, one of the building blocks of building secure attachment is being able to navigate rupture and repair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that that's navigated and, you know, families is being able to see like with your parents there was a rupture mom and dad had a fight Mm -hmm. but they were able to come back together they were Mm -hmm. they were able to repair Mm -hmm. and being able to help um children do that as well and so it's not um, about the conflict per se it's about how are you going to navigate that conflict and so my Mm -hmm. hope for couples is that they're able to navigate the conflict in healthy um uh regu- like they able to regulate their own emotions empathize with the other person and they're able to um grow with one another meaning my perspective of will is not the same as it was four years ago mm-hmm. it's different mm-hmm. there's room for him to change and grow just mm-hmm. like his view of me is different there has been room for me to change mm-hmm. and grow well that's why the moniker of you know, you wake up 20 years later and then, whoa, what happened to the person I married? And it's like, well, I pray to God this isn't the same person <laughs> right? you married. Right. Um, like you hope there's room to change and oh, grow absolutely. and be completely different. Right. And unfortunately in um, anxious or, um, you know, avoidant attachment styles, there's they don't there's not a whole lot of room, at least internally, for another person to, to change. Mm-hmm. 
And so, um, so in order to grow in a, a secure way of relating, of attaching um, to one another, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to ring this bell again of, you know, <laughs> couples therapy, mm-hmm. finding, finding a good couples therapist. That's, um, that's so important. That has been significant in my relationship with Will. It's mm-hmm. been significant in my friends' um, marriages. And I think that that, um, that if if you're like in a marriage where um, the conflict never seems to get repaired, mm-hmm. you're just kind of butting up against the same conflict mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and there's not repair, there's no movement. I would say that that's a pretty good indicator that uh, you would benefit from a good couples therapist. Yeah. Well, um, and with therapy, it's like, don't wait until the Titanic has hit the iceberg. Right. <laughs> like, right. Look out over the sea and see, okay, we can see pot- potential problems coming up. We see how this could affect things mm-hmm. later. Or it's just it's a healthy practice to, to bring in someone wiser who can be there and help you learn how to mm-hmm. attach. But people often wait until the you know the boat's sinking yeah. <laughs> to get help. Right. And, I mean, in working with couples myself, um, I often experience – the ones who are coming in because it's like, ah, oh, this this is just something that's not quite working out in our relationship. It, either, you know, um, in this in this certain domain or in this certain domain, I I experience quite a bit of um, like quick quick ability to repair and to move forward and to um, then those who come in and they're saying, well, um, we're thinking about getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is like the last option that mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of pressure that you're putting mm-hmm. <laughs> on um, on therapy on mm-hmm. on this last experience. And um, I mean, it can still be helpful. It can still be useful. But there are so many things that led up to that event. Mm-hmm. So I would say absolutely, if you are having an inkling like this, something's we're just amiss here. We're not able to navigate this well. I would say even for this securely attached um, mm-hmm. person in, in relationship with another securely attached person, I would say, you know, there still might be times in your marriage where you're going to have a, a difficult time mm-hmm. navigating a rupture and mm-hmm. you're going to need a, an extra voice that you don't have to take care of, an extra person that you don't have to take care of in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I would say again, couples couples counseling um, would be huge. Additionally, having other couples as a part in 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 your life, and like as a regular part of your life that that are able to speak in to your marriage that you've invited in that you that you say I need to hear your honest opinion. Mm -hmm. I I need your prayers. I need to tell you about what's happening in this. I need your advice in X, Y, and Z. And you're able to hear them. Um, that is rare. I um, I feel so fortunate that there's a handful of, you know, couples in our life, in our, you know, marriage that speak into to where we're at and that we're able to reach out to. But I would say that I don't, I don't hear about that often mm-hmm. um, where there's an invitation that a couple extends to somebody else. Hey, speak into our life. Mm-hmm. We need guidance. We need prayer. And we want to be honest and open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I think my hope is that couples build a robust network of resources, uh, their couple, a couple's therapist, they're, you know, going to, you know, spiritual direction individually or together, um, a rule of, you know, life for marriage that is sustainable, um, other, other friends, um, both individually and together, um, a church that is supportive and encouraging and, and healthy. Um, so that's, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, that's, that's, that takes a lot of work mm-hmm. to build. Um, and, uh, marriage, um, I was told, um, by a mentor before I got married that, you know, marriage is the hardest thing that she's, she'd ever have to give herself to. Um, and she'd gone through a lot and raised, you know, three kids. And it's, it, I would say that it is the most consistent, um, work that I've ever had to give myself to. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it's so worth it, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think that, um, we need to, um, battle the lie that, um, marriage is easier. It's going to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And if you're like, hmm, listening to this and you're like, Barry, I don't buy it. Well, you can go read John Gottman. You can go read Myon and Kay Yurkovich. You can go read Steve Call, Dan Allender. Um, they would all agree <laughs> with what is being said. Um, but yeah, we'll post uh, some of the extra resources Barry has. I'm going to post some of these things. But yeah, this has been awesome. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, Colton. We hope that Barry's words today encourage you in your relationships, reframed how you view attachment, and ultimately made you feel hope for your future relationships. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.